All right, let's dive into the Word this morning. We are into our fifth week of our series in Colossians. We have just one week left and also one week left before Resurrection Sunday. And so I am this morning going to be talking about Paul's instructions to the Christian household. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read it together. We'll pray and we'll dive right in. Paul's instructions for Christian households. That's what it might say in your Bible. In verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. May it guide us. May it speak to us. May we, through the reading of your word and the study of what you're saying to us, become more like you, Jesus. May we be more loving. May we live in greater freedom by your power. And may we care for others in the way you have cared for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Recently, I attempted for my first time in a while to plan out a vacation season. We do vacation oftentimes with some of Kate's families that are our age and have similar lifestyles um, and planning out. But this is my first time doing it myself. So I planned a road trip for this summer, and the road trip goes up through uh, New York and into Canada, over into Maine, back down through Boston. And it was my chance and my own decision to plan this whole thing. So I had total freedom for what I wanted it to look like, what I wanted it to be. And so in my own take, there's a lot of driving because I don't mind driving. There's a bunch of stops at places to hike and see new places I hadn't been to. And I was like, this is great. It's perfect. It's, we're looping up. We're going to save money. It's going to be fun hiking. We're going to do all of these things. And then over a period of a few weeks and months, we started inviting other people into the process of what vacation was going to be. And if you've ever planned a vacation with others before, you kind of know where I'm going with this. I had planned like, we're going to go to this city and that. And then it was like, well, do we need to go to that city? Maybe we could stop over here at a different place and then another. Well, I have another trip and I'm up in Vermont and these specific days. So on these days, you have to come get me in Vermont. I'm like, all right, now I have to tweak it a little bit to get there. And then others said, it, it sounds fun. I'm really excited, but I don't really love a lot of driving. And I said, well, it's a road trip. So others said, well, I don't know if I want to do that much hiking or, or stopping in those places. And I was like, well, that's what I have around it. And then others were like, can we um, maybe travel to a different spot or can we just not do any of that? And at this moment, I have to now recognize, I felt my hands starting to tighten around. I was like, well, this is what I wanted to do. 
And the realization that when we are sharing life and doing life with other people, people that we love, there is a continual and constant exchange of our personal freedoms for the loving relationships we have around us. The more people I involved in the trip, the less freedom I had in what I wanted to do. And I quickly found myself trying to assess what's more important to me, the loving relationships I get to do this trip with, or my own freedom to do exactly what I want. This is the idea of what Paul is driving home in this passage. What does it look like to lay down our own freedoms for the sake of the communities around us? The cost of relationship is freedom, and the cost of freedom is relationship. And for those who follow Jesus Christ, we have received, as Paul has laid out in detail for three chapters, we have received the ultimate freedom that comes through the relationship Christ gave us. And so Paul then lands it home in this passage as he begins to apply it. He says, we have enough freedom in Christ to submit to each other. We have enough freedom in what He's given us and done in us to lay down our freedom and choices to the people He's placed in our lives. Let's look at the text itself. As Paul has said, we're looking at a letter about our own freedoms and rights. He's talking about husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters. And there's a pattern in Paul's writing that he has in almost every one of his letters. He front loads theology, and then at the end, he applies it. Kind of like a good sermon, he, he does it that way. Here's the theology of what Christ has done, what it means in our lives, and then at the end, all right, now how does this play out? What does this actually affect in our lives? In Colossians, it moves like this. This is how we've discussed it so far. In chapter 1, the fruit of the good news, that the good news of Christ is good fruit, and it's working. It's working all over the Roman world. It is effective to lay down our lives for what Christ has done. Then we talked about Jesus supreme. Paul then says, we've laid it down, and the good news is what? Is Christ is so good and so powerful. How great is Jesus? Then we talked about our third week, the completeness we have in the greatness of Jesus Christ. He's so good that we don't need anything else. We just need His loving grace in our lives. And then last week, as Brandon preached, take off that old self now and put on the new self that is Jesus. The good news is so very good. What's the good news? Jesus Christ is Lord of all, and He is wonderful. What do we do with that? We then put on Christ, and that is enough for us. Today we'll look at, as Paul then lands it, what does that mean? How does that affect our lives? What does it do for us? How does it affect my job, my life, my marriage, my family? How does this affect the day-to-day -day details of our lives? This paragraph on Christian households, it's important to understand it's specifically an application of what he covers in Colossians 3, verse 17. Let's read it. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So all of these points he's saying about submission and our relationships is an application of whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
But let's see it a little bit more in context. Let's expand that. Not just verse 17, but Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Paul writes, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace, and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So this is the heart of what Paul's talking about, the transformation And then he says, now, what Christ has done must be lived out into our lives. It's not just theory that we think in our head. It's not just songs that we sing when we're together. Those songs, these words, this theology has an impact on our lives. It changes the way I interact with everyone. He's saying, remember how you used to live? before you knew Jesus, how you used to live when you lived in your own shame and struggle and grasping at power with each other, remember that it's now totally different. And that faith is lived out day by day. We can see this whole passage as Paul saying, what I've preached is now lived out in your daily life, in your family and in your job. It's not enough to believe, belief has to be lived out. As another apostle, James, Jesus' half-brother, writes, James says this powerfully in his letter. He says, but don't just listen to God's Word. Don't just do your devotions. Don't just listen on a Sunday morning. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourself. For if you listen to the words but don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself. You walk away and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. The church in Colossae that he's writing to, we've talked about over the last four weeks that they had heard the gospel message of the good news of Jesus and that we just need Jesus, but they forgot that and started adding all these other practices, all these other behaviors, expectations in order to have peace in their lives. And Paul is saying, it's like you look at yourself in a mirror of who Christ is and who he's calling you to be, and you go, yep, I get it. That's what it is. And then you turn away and completely forget the new person he's made you to be. I am very familiar with this because as a preacher, I live this constantly. I can give you a perfect example of it. It's been three weeks since I've preached here from the pulpit. What was my main point three weeks ago? We do this constantly, not just in the preaching and the sermon, but in our own devotional life. We read a passage, we move on with our day. I did it, I read it, great, good, I'll pack that away, and then live the rest of our life, and then live the rest of my days. Paul says these aren't just words that we read. These are transformational instructions for our life. Another way of saying it's not just informational, it's transformational. It changes us. It makes us new. And that newness 
is lived out in our lives. And so now let's enter into the verses that we read. Full disclosure, these are probably the most controversial verses in all of Colossians, and maybe the most difficult for us in our modern life to process and understand. So we're going to walk through the Roman context of what Paul is speaking to, and then we'll bring it into our life as well. Let's look at the first verse, maybe the the hardest one of the whole passage. Wives, submit to your husbands as it's fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. I can feel some of you already as we read that, kind of getting together a little bit. Ooh, I don't know. How do I do this? This passage and passages like this from Paul have been used inappropriately to, to control and to beat down and to hold on to power. That's not what Paul is trying to do here. He's writing to first century Roman women in Colossae. And as a first century Roman woman, you had no rights. You didn't have bills or laws that protected you. You had none. You were considered as property for your husband. He owned you. You lived under him. If you ever left him, your life would be ruined, not just talked badly in the community, but how would you work? How would you live? How would you eat? Who would take care of your children? And we see in Scripture over and over again advocacy for those who don't have power or rights, specifically in the lives of women. Jesus is our best example of this. In John chapter 4, Jesus has a powerful conversation with a woman who would have been otherwise marginalized and excluded. In the Roman rule or the Jewish rule that Jesus lived under, he should not have been interacting with this woman. She was three times divorced and seen as a a sexual deviant and unworthy of being around others. That's why she goes to the well in the middle of the day alone because she's ashamed. And Jesus has a face-to-face conversation with her. Jesus reaches out to touch her, and he not just declares her as worthy, but he invites her in to the family of God and into relationship with himself. The same Jesus who in Mark chapter 5 as a woman who is excluded from Jewish community because she had a bleeding disorder, something wrong with her own menstrual cycle that she would bleed and couldn't stop. So she was ceremonially and societally unclean, and yet she reaches out and touches Jesus. And he calls her out, stands her up, and addresses her, and speaks to her her worth and her value. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message of God's community to all of those who are without power in society. He draws them back in. And then Paul, who writes this letter to the Colossians, who writes the letter to the Ephesians that we struggle with in Ephesians 5, who writes in 1 Corinthians passages we struggle with, his first letter, scholars believe, is his letter to the church in Galatia, his letter to the Galatians. And famously, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul writes this, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is maybe one of the most powerful uh, equity and equality writings in all of Paul's writings. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are the same together. Power dynamics be gone out. We are all together in one. So how do we 
take what Jesus has done, how he acted, what Paul has written here in Galatians, and now understand what he's writing to the church in Colossae. How do we put those together and understand what he means? Paul's advice in Colossians 3.18 is written out how to live humbly in the relationships, not as we want them to be or as they should be, but how they are. How do we live out in the dynamics? Not that we change or overthrow. When things are unfair or unequal, how do we still live a Christ-honoring life in unfair power dynamics, in unfair systems? Paul's not saying by writing this, this is how it should be. He's saying, this is how it is. And this is how we honor Christ in these dynamics. We have three relational dynamics. Wives and husbands, parents and children, slaves and masters. And the emphasis throughout this passage is on duties, not roles. What's our duty in a dynamic? Not this is the role you must have. It actually is incredibly similar to another passage Paul writes, and people think he wrote Ephesians after he wrote Colossians. And so, in Ephesians 5, he writes a longer version of what is here, Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, he connects these acts of submission not to the fact that the person with power deserves it, but as an act of worship. This is the worship you give to Christ in any dynamic you're in, not about the husband, not about the slave owner, but this is about the relationship you have with Jesus, and this is a way you worship Him. Let's look at it in Ephesians 5, verses 20 and 21. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, which is actually very close to the church in Colossae. He says, Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Though shorter, some scholars think it's because he wrote Colossians earlier than he wrote Ephesians. I kind of put the the commentary in with the verse here. Um, But he's saying, submit to one another out of your reverent worship for Christ. We have enough freedom in Jesus to submit to each other. I have enough freedom in what He's done for me and my eternal life that I can willingly and of my own accord lay my own freedom and rights before another. And so in this passage, three things should be said about a wife's subjection to her husband. First, in the Roman world, she's seen as property. She's not supposed to have any rights, and Paul talks about her rights here. She's not even to be addressed. It should be to her husband who then communicates the message to her in the proper way. But Paul addresses it directly to her. And two, they practiced in Roman world what's known as pattern familias, which means there is someone in the home who's in charge. It could be someone other than the husband, It could be the grandfather, it could be the the eldest son. Sometimes it could be the wife or the grandmother, but most of the time it is the male figure. The father or the grandfather is the paterfamilias, which means he represents the family. He takes care of the family, he makes decisions for the family, and Paul is addressing it inside of this context. The third thing we see for the women is let the peace of Christ transcend your circumstances. Your circumstances may not be fair to you in the way the world works right now. It may not be equal 
and equitable. But let the peace of Christ work in your soul that it transcends the fact that this might not be fair. And to put it another way, Paul says, when you are without power and you are in a circumstance that may be unfair, do not use that as an excuse to sin. Don't use that as, it's unfair, so forget it. I'm being treated unfairly, so I'm going to treat others unfairly. They're not treating me the way I'm worth, so what? I'm going to talk behind their back. I'm going to steal from them. I'm going to do it my own way. I'll be unfaithful because the circumstances aren't fair. And then three things he says about the husband's call to love and not treat their wives harshly. To first century Romans, this is the radical verse. Not what he's saying to women. It is radical that for a Roman man, the paterfamilia, the one who has all authority, that Paul would have any limit on their power at all. They would read this and say, you, I, you have, there are rules for me. I'm the paterfamilia. I have all the power in this dynamic. And you don't get to tell me what I can or can't do with my power, what I can or can't do with my property my wife, my slave, my children, I own them. And you don't get to tell me what I can do with them. But Paul says, not so in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, our power is not used for our own freedom and glory. Our power is used to serve others. To love, he uses the word agapeo. It's, it's a decision to treat someone affectionately. And this is not how Roman marriages necessarily worked. There were ones that were loving, and there's writings of that. But largely it was, this was your wife. She relies on you for, for wealth and for provision and for family and for protection. And as long as you provide her that, you can do whatever you want, man. You can have another woman on the side. You can have several women on the side. You can do your own thing. You can disappear for days or weeks at a time. She has no right to call that over you as long as you keep providing a home for her. But Paul says, no, you choose to treat her with dignity and respect and honor. Power is not an excuse for you to do your own will. It is a privilege and a call to serve others. So one, when you don't have power, don't use it as an excuse to sin. Two, when you do have power, don't allow your privilege as a right to sin. Both ways, respect and honor. Let's continue. He then speaks to children, which is also a crazy thing for him to write down because they're not going to read this, but he writes to them directly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. How many of you have ever used this passage in raising your children? Told them, honor your father and mother. You, you, you got to do it. Paul, the Bible said you have to listen to me and you're not doing it. I, as a teenager, I got to that point, right? I was like 13, 14 and I was in youth group. And so I knew the rest of the passage and I'd be like, yeah, and you're not supposed to push me to be frustrated. It did not go well in my home. <laughs> Even though I tried to use scripture, still not good. Not good to weaponize scripture. And again, it's the same power dynamic Paul's talking about. If you don't have power as a child in your home, don't use it as an excuse to sin. 
Don't use it as an excuse to because your parents wheeled it over you and you're like, they don't ever let me do nothing, so I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to smoke weed in the house because they never let me have any fun. They don't let me have any freedom in this home, so I'm going to sneak out at night. I'm going to hang out with my friends. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to go down to the Colosseum, even they told me not to, because they don't let me do anything fun anyway. Don't let the power dynamic over you be an excuse for you to act in your own sinful rebellion. And parents, you have tiny versions of yourself that are completely reliant on you. That power dynamic can be intoxicating. I have a chance now to redo all the mistakes of my own life. And so my kid's going to be a little version of fixing everything that I didn't get. So I really wanted to be a soccer star, and I wasn't good enough. You're going to be a soccer star, and you're going to then justify my existence. I feel inadequate about myself, so you're going to get all A's, and you're going to go to the college, and you're going to be a doctor. It is order for my own glory and power. Paul says, no, your kids are not just an extension of your own glory and authority. Sorry, you have power over them. That power is to use to give them the best life, to serve them and position them in a way that they would know my love and be able to transform this world. And now slaves and masters. This is also a problematic passage that has been used to justify the existence of slavery. But we're going to see what Paul is talking about here. He says, slaves, obey your earthly master in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. This passage is the most clear about the power dynamics he's talking about, right? One has no rights or power at all. They're literally a slave. The other has all of the power because they own this person. It's important when we read slavery in Scripture, it's not the same slavery that, that we in America have in our understanding. It's not uh, American chattel slavery. It's not slavery based on race or ethnicity. Um, both are evil and dehumanizing and, and to be fought and to give people their right as humans and image bearers of Christ. But when we read about Roman slavery, it's not based on your racial identity of who you are. It is based on you either got yourself into so much debt or your parents got themselves into so much debt that they had to sell or sell yourself into slavery, otherwise you would be killed. It was you lost a war and a battle, and you were taken captive by the other people, and now you're enslaved to them. It was based on decisions and results and, and property, not based on your racial identity, but still evil. Some estimates have that in Roman society, as much as 30% of all Roman citizens were slaves, including doctors, including road workers, including domestic uh, home caretakers, were also slaves. And for those that may struggle with or have heard someone use Scripture, or when we read texts from America in the 18th and 19th century, know that Scripture does not condone slavery. It is acknowledging a system that existed, not condoning and embracing it. For the example we've already read, that Paul writes in Galatians 3.28, there is no longer slave or master. 
We are all one in Christ Jesus. If you want a beautiful example of this, you can read Paul's tiny letter to Philemon where he encourages him to see Onesimus, his former slave, as a brother in Christ. And he challenges the dynamic there. But doubtless, Paul means this as the most extreme example for a slave. You have no rights. And your life is a travesty to God's image bearers on earth. And yet, even in the most extreme of circumstances, you demonstrate the power of Christ's freedom in your life by serving those who are over you with gladness of heart. Not even when they're watching you, when they're not. You serve to the best of your ability. And then he tells slave owners, again the theme, but even in your power, do not use it as a wielding for your own pleasure and authority. Use it to serve others. For us in the modern day, we can read these passages, and hopefully we've done a little of the context to understand that Paul's not saying women must be subjugated to their husbands, slaves must stay in slavery. He's not adhering to those. He's describing what is. We read these passages, though, and frankly, they're really hard for us in the modern world, particularly in the 21st century. We hold freedom as maybe the highest idol of our existence. Freedom's the best. Freedom is a moral good that we must be free. Free to feel what we want to feel, do what we want to do, be who we want to be, go where we want to go, work where we want to work. I'm almost turning into a song here. We want to be free to do whatever we want. And if anyone impedes my freedom, we all understand this, right? That is a moral wrong to impede on someone's freedom. So we read this passage from Paul and we say, oh, this, I, uh, I don't know. Maybe this is one of Paul's ancient culture things that we can just move on from. It's not fair now. It's why these passages are so tough. We have not learned what submission is until we have had to go along with someone's authority in an area we disagree with. We can say that we submit in a church, in a family, in a relationship, in our job, but it's not submission until the person with authority over us makes a decision we don't like or agree with, but we say, I'm going to go with it anyway. If you agree with every decision of the authority placed over you at all times, and that's why you're there, that's not submission. That's agreement in the freedom you're both expressing. And what Christ says is submission is when you can say, because of the freedom you've already received in Christ, and the knowledge that in the end all of this will be well, and that Christ laid down his freedom for you, that you can say, I may not agree with this, but I'll submit myself under, and I will be the greatest champion of this. For the Christian, we should be able to say, I have more than enough freedom in Christ that I can enjoy let someone else have their way. I have already won in Christ Jesus, so my vacation plans, I can submit them to others that I love and care about. I have so much freedom in Christ that even though I think my boss is unfair, I can lovingly serve and speak glowingly and caringly to them and about them. I have gotten so much freedom in Christ that I can, in my marriage, regularly lay down what I want and what I desire for the sake of my spouse, for the sake of my children, for the sake of my elderly parents and the help they need from me in their life. 
Can we submit our freedom and everything we want to do in order to love others around us? I will say two caveats to this passage. The first one is this. Scripture also holds a strong identity around justice. And justice is fighting unfair systems of people and powers and and oppressive uh, decisions and systematic things. How do we hold justice and personal submission together? I think there's two things. The first is justice is often about others. Submission is about me. So when I see someone else's power being unfairly taken away, when I see someone else stuck, I will fight for their rights. I will fight for their justice. And when it's myself, I will ask the question of, is this just me wanting to get what I want? I need to submit my heart and my soul. Justice being about others. But second, though, in these passages, Paul is describing situations, pretty unlikely they're going to be able to change them. Pretty unlikely you can get out of it. A wife can't really leave her husband in Roman society. She'll die or be sent out into the wilderness to die. A slave certainly can't move into freedom from their slave owner. And at the same time, in Paul's journey of Christian faith, the Christian movement is small and has very little power to change systems and cultures. They're changing it one by one, little by little, until 400 years later, they take over and they break many of these systems. But Paul is speaking into circumstances that can't change. He says, in a circumstance that can't change, even if it's unfair, you live the most loving, submissive life you can. We live in a world where Christians do have a lot of power, and we can change things. And I believe that Paul would say, when you can change systems that are unfair over one gender from another, over one race of people of another, fight for them. Bring that freedom, work it, change it. And if you are in a circumstance that is abusive, whether it's a relationship you're in, whether it's a work environment you're in or a church that you're in where it is abusive and unfair, you have the freedom to leave. And I think Paul would encourage you, get out. Go, don't be in that then. Go find your freedom. But if you choose to stay, stay with the best of yourself and love, and care, and give all that you can in that dynamic. Because God cares about our life, our safety, and who we are. And Paul's not telling anyone to stay in unsafe circumstances, and circumstances that may threaten their life. God cares about who you are, wants you to be safe, wants church and family environments that are loving and safe. But in our dynamics with each other, to serve the other. Most importantly, though, if you find yourself in a position of power, and in the modern world, these dynamics of haves and have-nots are not so clear and clean. We often serve multiple roles where I have authority and power over someone, and now I'm under the authority and power of someone else. I may be a big shot at work, and there's a lot of people under me, and I may come home, and my spouse has a lot to say and, and is moving in our lives. I may come into church, and now I have to submit myself under leaders or elders. These dynamics are complicated. And when we find ourselves in positions of power, Paul would say, use that power to the greatness of your ability to serve those you have power over. Your job is to serve them the best you can. Take every moment of your privilege, every moment of your authority, every moment of the power invested in you to make their lives better, to care for them and give them freedom and believe in them and empower them. 
In short, we have more than enough freedom to submit to each other. Back to Colossians chapter 3. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. The radical nature of this passage that Paul is making is the entire radical argument of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that in the gospel and under the authority of Christ Jesus, decision-making in life is no longer decided by power, who has it and who doesn't. It is decided by loving relationship. Because Christ Jesus, although he was God, with all power and authority at his fingertips and to his name, instead chose to serve his created beings who are under him in authority. He used his power to lay it down and serve those who are under him. And not just to serve them in his power, but to serve them through his death on the cross. He gave up his freedom He gave up his power to care for those given under him. So the radical challenge is given to us. As Paul says here in Colossians, how do we live out all of what he's talked about, how great Jesus is, the exchange we get of his life for ours, that he is enough and declares us as enough. What does that mean for each of us? It means that we serve one another regardless of whether we have or we don't. And we do it not because it's fair and not because they deserve it, but because Jesus Christ is at work in our hearts, providing forgiveness and freedom through his death we don't deserve by a means that wasn't fair to him. And so in every circumstance, we live it out. The radical act of giving up our freedom to serve each other in love. Two challenges for each of us to make this wholly practical. Think about your life. Where are you in positions of control? And where are you in positions where you don't have control? And what do those bring out of you? What do they reveal about your personality? Kate and I, quite shamefully, watch a lot of Survivor. And someone may be very kind in the beginning of the show. And once they realize the voting numbers are in their favor and they have power, you see who they are. I have power. I'm the voting. I'm not doing any more work anymore. And I'm going to talk badly about everybody else around here because I got the power. What do I care? When we receive that power, what does it reveal about us? As followers of Christ Jesus, we use power the way he used power. 
and to think about every time, every moment where you do, whether it's as the head of your household, as the parent to young children who look to you and depend on you for everything, whether it is as a child whose parents are now aging and dependent on you to care for them and provide for them, whether it's you in authority as a boss at your job, whether it's you in leading a small group or an authority in the church, wherever that is, how are you using that power entrusted to you to serve those who have given that power up to you? How are you thinking about making their life best? And when we are in the roles of our lives where we don't have control or power, what does that bring out of us? Do we get embittered, childish, talk behind their backs, criticize and say how we would do it if we were the ones with power and continually tear down and criticize and second guess? Or do we come in with a loving passion to serve the best that we can in whatever dynamic we're in? Paul says, because of what Christ has done in your lives, we are able to serve in any circumstance. With power, we use it for others. Without power, we lovingly accept it and love and serve. And we do neither because the people we're doing it to deserve it, but because Christ deserves it for what he has done and who he is in our lives. By his freedom, we submit ourselves to one another in Christ-honoring love. If you could bow your heads with me this morning, all over the room. I want to provide an opportunity if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never made that decision to follow him and to know him, I want to tell you this morning, it is the greatest decision and the greatest journey you could ever make. And that as Paul is saying, it doesn't matter. I can, I can live in any circumstance. I can give up or I can submit. It's because the love of Jesus is so good. The forgiveness and freedom he gives me from my guilt and shame. The freedom he gives me from my fear of death and what's on the other side of the grave is transformative for who I am as a person. And I want to give you a chance to make that decision, to take that transformation today and to pray that out together. If you'll pray this along with me, in your heart and in your mind, Christ Jesus, I need you as Savior today, in this moment. I have tried to wield my own power, fight for it when I don't have it, wield it when I do, and I've done it all for my own glory and my own freedom to do what I want, to say what I want, to get what I want, and Jesus, I see today that you had access to all of it and you gave it up for me. I want that freedom and that love that you have. I believe, Jesus, that you were God, you are God, and you came to this earth and you lived as a man and as God in one. That you laid down your life continually as a servant while you lived on this earth. And then you laid it down eternally through your death on the cross. You took my sin and shame and you died in my place. That you were buried in the ground and on the third day, you conquered death itself 
and you provide to me freedom from my sin, freedom from death eternally, and now you rule and reign at the right hand of the Father, and by you I have fullness of life. Jesus, you gave your life for me. Today, I submit my life to you. Will you lead me, love me, and transform me? I pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen.